Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll Podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. It's Mississippi State Week, and Brad, there are a grand total of about four state beat writers in existence, so we decided to forego a guest this week. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, but they did have uh, Dan Mullen in a Scientology class down there for the last few years, so I, I understand why we don't have many options. We want to hit on a couple of quick things before we really get started. We had a giveaway last week after we asked our listeners who the last player to sign with Alabama from St. Thomas Aquinas High School was. It took a couple days, Brad. We finally got an answer. Yeah, finally, man. <laughs> uh, Frank Shotgun from Mobile went through every single roster from the time St. Thomas Aquinas was founded until 2006, and the last player to sign with Alabama from that school was Mike Spencer. We all know Mike Spencer, right, Brad? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a household name. Yeah. In 1982, that was the last player to sign from St. Thomas Aquinas. He was a 6'1", 210-pound linebacker. Uh, that's Jerry Judy right there. The times have changed. Mike would have had to play corner to get a scholarship offer from <laughs> Alabama at that size uh, in 2018. Man, hell of a job by Frank. I mean, he, he does more research than I have into anything, and that's why uh, I don't have a doctor in front of my name either. But impressive job by Frank. I mean, I, I would have never thought it went that far back, but there's a reason why it did. Yeah, I'm just glad to finally get an answer. Without Frank, there would not have been an answer. Following up on the St. Thomas Aquinas story, that whole conversation started obviously because Braylon Ingram had committed to Alabama. We mentioned that Braylon Ingram's teammate Jordan Battle, top 100 safety, committed to Ohio State, was now visiting Alabama and seemed open to the possibility of flipping. This week, Brad, a couple of Ohio State moderators put in a crystal ball prediction on 24-7 sports for Jordan Battle to flip to Alabama. For those unfamiliar with the crystal ball, it's basically like sports writers employed by 24-7. They just put in their prediction where they think a kid goes. So for it to be a a guy or a couple of guys from the Ohio State 24-7 site, that's pretty significant. It does not mean that it's a done deal by any means, but it's a pretty good sign. We were hoping that this would be the floodgates opening now that uh, Saban sieged that castle there down in South Florida. And it it looks like it's going to happen right away. And I mean, I don't know if we expected anything otherwise. Yeah, apparently the Ohio State coaches are becoming a little uneasy about Battle's commitment to them. So the possibility of two commitments now from St. Thomas Aquinas is becoming very real. We'll obviously follow up on that visit. Alabama's going to have to, they're going to have some tough choices. They're going to have to tell some pretty highly ranked kids no that want to commit to Alabama. So I don't foresee Jordan Battle being one of the kids that they would tell no, especially with him being from that high school. But we'll we'll see. They're going to have some tough choices. Well, yeah, it's like we heard all year after uh, that terrible recruiting class in the spring is, you know, this December, if you have an opportunity to go ahead and send your letter in, you better go ahead and do it or they're going to move on. And if I'm Ohio State coaches, you should be worrying about a couple other things too behind the scenes with your head coach, but we don't have to go there right now. Yeah, the sentiment behind this recruiting class is going to be a whole lot different than last year. This past week, myself and Brad were checking our stats for the podcast and the last show with Aaron Suttles had listeners from 25 different countries. A couple of those countries stood out to us and we just wanted to kind of send a shout out to the two people listening to us in the countries of belarus and azerbaijan god bless you uh (laughs) yeah if we didn't pronounce that right we do apologize but uh i mean it was it i don't know how we reached that far maybe we we are just a uh a good bottom platform for what not to do (laughs) and it's spreading but uh no hey we appreciate it it was pretty crazy uh wesley to see how many people worldwide and also the United States of the numbers of who's listening and where. 
Yeah, we're just a we're a global brand now, Brad. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're the next bar stool. Watch out. So uh, yeah, but us being the road scholars that we are, uh, we had never <laughs> never heard of either of those places. So if you guys happen to be listening this week, message one of us. Message me or Brad. Uh, tell us why <laughs> and how. Yeah how how did you end up there? How did you end up in Belarus or Azerbaijan? I googled the pronunciations of those, by the way. Okay. Uh, how did you end up there listening to us and why? We like we are genuinely curious. Absolutely. So moving on, uh, I was literally on this podcast a week ago, Brad, asking Aaron Suttles if Quentin Williams was the most unrecognized superstar in the Nick Saban era. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, here we are just days later. It seems like every sports writer in America is on the Quentin Williams train. And maybe that's just me living in like the social media bubble, but it's blown up as far as national recognition for Quinnen. Well, it was, uh, it was a great time, you know, because a lot of the local people, obviously, they were able to pass on the hype and, and, you know, a lot of the foreshadowing for Quinnen. Now, when you have a game sort of like he did against LSU on Saturday, all of a sudden the entire nation took a hold of, holy shit, let's watch out for this kid. I mean, he had over, what do you have, 10 tackles and yeah. uh, one and a half sacks, a forced fumble, I believe, too. Yeah, um, seven solo. I, I mean, it, it was just, a he was dominant. <laughs> it's and against that almighty LSU atmosphere, I mean, it's a, one hell of a showing. And I saw a numerous amount of stats uh, about Quinn and to truly be able to wrap your head around him. It's impressive, and, and he has to be at least now still the uh, most underrated Saban prospect as a first rounder. But I have a feeling here in the next couple of weeks that's going to change. Can we pat ourselves on, on the back a little bit with our LSU? How how in the world is LSU going to move the ball? <laughs> questions. I mean, I didn't, I didn't expect it to be necessarily like that. I didn't expect them to put up a goose egg. But well, I mean, thirteen yards, I believe, is what it was. That's impressive. So yeah, we tried for weeks ahead of time to let you guys know. I get why you're nervous. I get why you're trying to talk yourself into that. This game is going to be nerve wracking and bad, and just just a potential chance to lose. But it was lower scoring overall than I think I anticipated, and maybe some uh, some of you as well. But I mean, it didn't go any other way than I expected. And like uh, like our buddy Tony put out there, it kind of sucks now that LSU realizes they're nobody after screaming that Alabama played nobody. Yeah, Ale- so. yeah. Alabama has still played nobody. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of PSAs, correct? Correct. Do you want to start? Yeah, we, uh, we wanted to bring this back. I mean, uh, this used to be the, the best part of the show outside of it ending. Um, <laughs> so the first PSA I had is I just – I really hope – that these current playoff rankings hold or, you know, kind of shift around a little bit with the current top four because I just, I'm just slobbering at the mouth here at the potential to play Notre Dame again. But, you know, I don't know if you saw a couple weeks ago, Brian Kelly on game day, he, uh, he learned his role in college football by answering careful what you wish for when they asked him if they want to play Alabama again. But right now I got some future lines on potential matchups and Alabama Clemson happen again. Alabama's favored eight and a half. These are all neutral sites. Bama Notre Dame play. Alabama's favored by twenty and a half. It's a lot. Now the one that that's yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm going to take the spread for Bama on every one of these. So I'm just telling you now. The one that I really want to happen. My God, and I know you of all people do too, because no. you probably won't even make it to the end of the game. Uh, <laughs> Alabama Michigan. Right now, Bama's a two touchdown favorite over Wes. How do we describe Michigan? 
the team that hasn't won a consensus national championship in what is it, seventy years now? Seven I decades? Believe, yeah, I believe it's seven decades this season, and the most overrated head coach as well. And then finally, we can't forget our reigning national champions of the Poly Matrix or Collie Matrix poll, whatever it is. You know, Alabama's favored by a modest thirty-one points over UCF on neutral site. Honest to God, Alabama, if they if they tried to score a hundred points on Central Florida, they could. I'm, I'm convinced. I'm literally convinced that if they set out to put up triple digits on the scoreboard, they could do it. I mean, I watched that Temple game last week, and I think Temple had almost 700 yards of offense on them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean look, I get it. They've won 20, 21 games in a row. That yeah. That is impressive. There's a reason why that doesn't happen often. But, no, you're, you're not at the same table. Thanksgiving's coming up. They're still over there at the kids' table. Yeah, that was my first one. Yeah, I will be in Australia on New Year's. Okay, so I've booked a flight back to San Francisco for the national championship game the Friday before the national championship game, basically in hopes that Alabama is going to be there. If they do not make it, I will have wasted a few hundred dollars and a flight into San Francisco. If they play Central Florida in the opening round, I will have absolutely no doubt that that flight to San Francisco is going directly to Alabama participating in the national championship. Oh, yeah. Look, there's, I mean, there's no chance in hell Central Florida's got a shot. I mean, they've never gone above 12 in the rankings. And I, I don't know without chaos that's never happened in our lifetime if they're going to be able to get into that top 10 in playoff rankings. So hopefully for you, it's, it's Michigan and Alabama meeting you at the gate when you get there. That would be perfect. Pro Football Focus put out their highest graded running backs in the Southeastern Conference. One and two in the entire conference. Najee Harris, Damian Harris. <laughs> Najee Harris's overall grade is 90.2. Number two in the whole conference, Damian Harris, is 82.6. So Najee's grading out <laughs> nearly eight full points higher than the second rated back in the conference, who happens to be his teammate. And who do we think is has probably been the best running back in the rotation for Alabama? Ooh, I mean, that's almost bringing up another argument within the fan base. But, I mean, you can take sides, but I think used in different places, it has to be Josh Jacobs when used. Yeah, I don't grade players out, obviously. No, but oh, had, we don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you ask me who has been the best back on the roster so far, I would have told you Josh Jacobs. And he's grading out behind those two. So Alabama's in a pretty good spot with those three. Look, I don't know when the last time or if ever two different players from one school won the Heisman in back-to-back years, but two is going to win it this year. And I'm really looking forward to Najee's Heisman run next year if he stays healthy because that kid, we have still don't know the true potential of him. It's like Tua in moderate roles still back in the day. So it's going to be exciting as hell. I look forward to him being used more as we move forward. I didn't really think a question mark for next season would be the offensive line, but if you were going to point to anywhere on the offense – that's going to lose basically anything, it was going to be the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Well, now with the emergence of Deontay Brown, it looks like Alabama's going to return three starters on the offensive line. So that's really only three significant players in the entire offense that will be gone next year. Two offensive linemen and Damian Harris. Mm-hmm. Damian Harris, as good as he has been, is going to be replaced by Josh Jacobs, if assuming Josh returns. And Najee Harris, so two t- really talented guys. Yeah, so they're going to have a, a more experienced line to run behind next year than maybe we had thought before this season started. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Look, I, I'm on that cornbread train. I don't know if you saw that clip that Cole had tweeted out the other night of him yeah. and his effort. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that is just that is insane. Yeah, he looks like uh, a fridge with arms attached. <laughs> 
So the other PSA I had is uh, that Mac Wilson keeps his word. So if you remember, I think it was uh, the Arkansas week, you know, Mac had tweeted out about he's got to get things right. He gives, you know, everyone's word that he's going to make it back to the standard that we expect, yada, yada. So before that tweet had happened, Alabama was giving up 319 yards a game, 4.7 yards per play, and 16 points per game. Well, after in the last several games, Alabama's now only allowing 222 yards per game, almost 100 yards less, 3.8 yards per play, and 10 points per game. So do not call Mac out on his shit unless you expect him to hold you to it. And he did. Props to the defense. They have been coming a long way. We've all seen that. And then this weekend in in Baton Rouge, my other PSA I had is, you know, that defense did do what they have continued to do. And we kind of talked about it on Twitter after the game. LSU has not scored a point in Baton Rouge against Alabama since the first quarter of the 2014 game. Yes, that Blake Sims game. So, wow. Uh, that is uh, my tribute to the deadliest environment in all of college football <laughs> and how it holds opponents scoreless. Yeah, Crowd noise does not score points for you. <laughs> I, I, I was there. I went to the game, and they were loud. First half, they were loud. It was as loud as anywhere that I've been in any college football atmosphere. That like They really they showed up. They had hope. They started filing out in the third quarter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So environment does not score points for you. Yep. No, it's uh it was a, a good gut check for LSU yet again, but um Yeah, they'll be convinced by this time next year that they're gonna roll into Bryant Denny and win. Guaranteed. Well, and, yeah, the whole message board meltdowns, uh they they flipped the script and now they're talking about we gotta go get Dabo or just it's insane. Uh, <laughs> uh I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> it's like James Carville has a nice little cult down there. So. Yep. Well, moving on to this weekend in Tuscaloosa, uh, Alabama might face their toughest defensive line that they've faced this season as far as anybody getting pressure on Tua. If these guys can't get pressure, there's probably not a whole lot of lines out there that, that will be able to. They they arguably have a top 15 draft pick, you know, Jeffrey Simmons there on the line. Yeah. Statistically, even Saban's talked about it, how they're among the top in the country overall in, in the major defensive statistics. So I do think that yeah this this has a chance to be until arguably Georgia the uh the last you know strong test up front for Alabama yeah and looking at the roster the thing that stood out to me with that with their defensive front right there all of those guys are juniors and seniors Jeffrey Simmons Montez Sweat Jerry Green there's a couple others they're all juniors or seniors they have no Mm -hmm. underclassmen getting basically any time on their line but if you switch over to the other side of the ball, my question again this week, like it was last week, is how is Mississippi State going to move the ball? I think it's been somewhat of a disappointing first year for uh, Starkville with Joe Moorhead yeah. um, and the system he's trying to in place, put in place and ask uh, Nick to kind of do some things, and it's not really worked. Now, granted, they had a, a good offensive uh, alleviation game last week against La Tech. They finally put up you know, over 40 points, and their offense may be getting back on track, but I just don't. If you go back and you look the last since middle of September, they've only had one other game they scored more than 14 points in. I mean, they had five straight games they scored less than 14 points. I just don't know necessarily if they can do it. Now, I will say compared to last week, they have a quarterback that is somewhat equipped to be able to do one or two things to help move the ball down the field against Alabama. But I just don't see how they can score more than maybe even 14 points against Alabama. Yeah, look, the defense is legitimate. They're going to make some plays. I think they're going to make plays against anybody that they play. But the offense is not going to be able to go point for point 
with Tua and the rest of, the rest of Alabama's offense, Nick Fitzgerald's completion percentage is 50.8. You can call him a dual-threat quarterback, in which he is. He's averaging 5.4 yards per carry, but he's not the type of dual-threat that Alabama would typically struggle with. He's more of a tough, methodical runner, opposed to like an electric runner like Manziel or Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I think Mississippi State's going to dominate the time of possession in this game, but that's about the only thing they're going to win on. All right, so their defense, though, will have their hands full on the outside because as of this week from Ben Jones, he said that Alabama has five of the top eight players in the SEC in terms of yards per catch, (laughs) which is insane. Uh, You got Judy, number two in the SEC. He's averaging 22.6 yards per catch. Uh, Waddle is four at 20 yards. Devontae Smith, 19. Henry Ruggs, 17 and Irv Smith, 17. Look, building on that, and look, Mississippi State has a one-dimensional offense. If you can stop the run, they're going to struggle. But building on what you said about Jerry Judy with the 22.6 yards per catch. Okay, so in 2008, Julio Jones signs. Julio Jones has a great Alabama career. He probably didn't have the greatest quarterbacks throwing to him. Once he left, I thought, wow, that's really going to be hard to duplicate. Well, along comes Amari Cooper, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Amari Cooper has a better college career than Julio. I would not call Amari a better receiver. I think that's kind of played out in the in the league a little bit, but Amari Cooper had a better college career than Julio did. After Amari leaves, you're kind of thinking, that's going to be tough to duplicate. Well, along comes Calvin Ridley. He's making those cuts. He's a great route runner. You think that's going to be hard to duplicate. Well, now here comes Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy is better after the catch than any three of those guys. <laughs> Man, ask number 45 from LSU. He'll uh, he'll agree with you. <laughs> I mean, it's just absurd. It's like it's one after another. And with this, this is an entire group of them. But Jerry Judy stands out even for this group. And I don't think that there is a better player after the catch than Judy. And I don't know that Alabama has had a better player after the catch than Judy. We all thought every receiver that we've seen so far had those all-around intangibles and capability, and then it's like the next one up comes out of the lab, and it's the you know next update of the software. So uh, <laughs> it's been insane to watch, and my God, they're all coming back next year. I mean, it's just oh. Well, what com- what comes after Jerry Judy? <laughs> well, uh, hopefully we can fire up that Tyrell Shavers because you know he is almost six foot five, two ten or so, and he's built. They say like Julio, but can run routes like Amari. So he did. He uh, did get a little bit of time. I noticed in L- at LSU. Yeah, and if we can, you know, next year use him more, I have a feeling that guy might be one of those freak athletes. All right. Well, finally, Wes, I just uh, I wanted to make a plea out to Dan Enos, uh, our quarterbacks coach. Please, for the love of God, do not go to Kansas. Nothing good is in Kansas for anybody. I'm telling you now, because there has been rumors already out there that he's being linked to that job. You know, I had a tweet out after the Louisville game that Alabama needed to go ahead and throw whatever it took to keep him anyways, based on the first game production of Jalen and Tua and how you could tell both of them have improved overall. Yeah. Please, for the love of God, Dan, stay in Tuscaloosa because if Coach Loxley takes the Maryland job like we all expect, guess who, Guess what? It's your horse to take the reins on. Yeah, everybody expects him to be the next offensive coordinator at Alabama. And I'm biased here, clearly. We both are. But would you rather be the head coach at Kansas? We're not talking about the basketball program, the <laughs> Kansas football program, or the offensive coordinator at Alabama right now. Well, the basketball coach will be uh, open to you here before too long. But uh, <laughs> Okay. I uh, Well, you got that whole investigation about to take off now yeah. with the NCAA. Uh, 
I, I would easily, easily love to uh, be the OC just because it's like playing NCAA football years ago, you know, against the worst FCS Southwest opponent. You can do whatever right now. You can do no wrong. Let me ask you this. If you investigated, like, who is the worst current Power 5 offensive coordinator in, in all of Power 5, and then you put them with this Alabama offense next year? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's tough. Um, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I couldn't even throw out a name of who, who I thought the worst offensive coordinator in Power 5 football is. But well, you have I, to look at you know, yeah. like some of the worst teams, which would be like you know UTSA or Texas State. And I don't even know who is even there, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah, Power Five, Group of Five, it doesn't matter. Like if you you just take the worst offensive coordinator out there and put them with this group of guys next year, like mm-hmm. we said, essentially everybody returning. Yeah. How much success do they have? Because I think they have a ton. Oh yeah, look. I mean, hell, the players can do it themselves. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, I think it matters. Like, I think a coordinator matters. It greatly matters. Your coaching matters. But if they kind of kept this same offense and just basically the guy, the offensive coordinator picked a play from the sheet every down, they're going to – I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I don't <laughs> – I'm trying to find right now how much Dave Beatty was making at uh, Kansas because uh, I, I really want to know – okay, so he was making $1.6 million – Okay, I think Alabama can get close to that as the official offensive coordinator tag if Coach Locks does go to Maryland, yeah. uh, you know, to keep Dan there. Now, the only reason why he's really being linked there is because the AD at Kansas is Jeff Long, the former Arkansas athletic director, uh, Jeff Long. So, you know, obviously Dan and Jeff have uh, ties that go way back. So I understand it, but Kansas, I mean, hell, they had a professor uh, that's on their board of trustees last year put together a study he made showing why the football program is no longer viable. Basically, they were about to be a Midwest UAB is what he was hoping. So I don't know. But my plea is, uh, Coach, please, please stay. We love you. (laughs) So that's it. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. All right. Well, this has been the Roll Bama Roll Podcast. Roll Tide.